Pastor Xavier Reese and Living for the King because of the King. What allows me to be able to live godly is not the age that I'm living in. It's not the culture I'm living in. It's who is in me. I, as a Christian, I am to be able to live in this society with the opposition, with the corruption, with the perversion. I am to live in a godly manner because of who is in me. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Apostle Paul was a sinner. He made many mistakes. But wasn't he just a man? Then why should we pay such close attention to his life? That's what we'll discover in today's study in the book of Titus. Right now, let's join Pastor Xavier for today's lesson, Paul the Apostle. Paul has identified himself in the opening salutation by a threefold picture, Paul the man, Paul the servant of God, and Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ. And now he goes on to qualify his apostleship. And that's what the rest of verse 1 and verse 2 takes care of. According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. And so here are the three qualifications that he gives to his apostleship. First of all, according to the faith of God's elect. There towards the end of verse 1. Secondly, according to the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And then thirdly, according to the hope of eternal life. So really it's laid out for you the three principles there with the very words that are in those verses. This qualifies his spiritual authority to divine scripture. He's not a man who is man-centered. He is a man who is God-centered. This is always the focus. Everybody begins there. And the challenge throughout time as you run in your life and as you attend a church and the church continues to grow and the pastor continues to teach, that everything becomes Christ-centered and not move to man-centered. It comes real easy and it comes real progressively. And if you don't watch it, pretty soon people come to church and they're not even examining things. Pretty soon they don't even bring Bibles. And this happens where the Word of God is taught. You know why? Because two things need to happen in the church. You need good teachers, and you need good students. And so it's important for all of us to understand that so that we stay on center with Jesus Christ and not get off on some tangents. The word here, godliness, means piety or holiness of inner life that only God can see, not merely outward formality. Your intent is to be faithful to God, and He sees your heart. He's not looking just at the outside as you pretend and as you let people think what you want them to think about you. That's reputation. Character is who you are inside. He's talking about godliness. When you're godly, God sees the inside. He understands you're sincere. He sees that you're not an actor. Each of us as Christians must have scriptural understanding of the objective truth, otherwise each person is left to his or her own subjective discretion, deceiving themselves. Even as 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Remember, we touched that. 
There's a lot of people that deceive themselves because they are examining God's word apart from allowing the word of God to interpret the word of God. And they interpret it subjectively, according to their feelings, according to whatever it is. That's the problem with a lot of people in church. If they come into a church and they don't feel like the Holy Spirit is there, they write you a note. Your church is dead. Well, that's a contradiction. If we're the people of God, the Holy Spirit is in our body. We're the temple of God. What you're saying is that you're used to rolling on the floor or swinging by the chandeliers or... Or, or being able to sway back and forth, and you're interpreting your relationship of worship with a subjective emotional experience. And many people do this, and so they go to churches, and they compare them, and they complain, and they write notes and everything else. You need to align yourself with the Word of God. Because you can sit there and worship God, and God can be ministering to you and really dealing with your heart. And God is dealing with you. And yet, you couldn't say, well, why isn't God dealing with you? God's dealing with you personally. The Spirit of God's there. That doesn't mean everybody has to be experiencing that. But He's a God of order. And you understand God's dealing with you, so you respond to Him. And you know that He's dealing with you. But it has nothing to do with emotions. It has to do with the objective truth of the Word of God, and yet it's touching you. But you don't give in to emotions because you understand this is based on God's Word. He's dealing with you according to truth. He's convicting. He's dealing with you. In fact, here Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So there's always going to be people in their own ideas, their own concepts, and they're not going to bother to check it to the Word of God. Each of us as Christians must depend on the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to teach us. In fact, Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 16, that eye has not seen, neither has, ear has not heard, neither the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Now he's not talking about when you get to heaven, he's talking about here and now. And he opens our minds and our hearts and our eyes to the things that he has for us individually. And he molds and shapes us according to his will. And we're walking progressively with him. We have an anointing that teaches us the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 20 and 27. Holy Spirit abides in your body. He convicts you. He comforts you. He reproves you. He guides you. He speaks to you. Each of us as Christians must insist that the fullness of our spiritual understanding is limited by and to the boundaries of the Word and the Holy Spirit. God's not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. So I am limited by the boundary of Scripture. I cannot go beyond the Scriptures, and I should not ignore the Scriptures and come under them. I need to understand the scriptures so that they are my boundary for my life. They hold me accountable. They hold me in a protective barrier, if you will. So I need to study. And each of us who are Christians who profess to know God, if we do not give evidence of godliness, then we don't fully understand the gospel, or possibly you're not born again. 
Titus 2.12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. What allows me to be able to live godly is not the age that I'm living in. It's not the culture I'm living in. It's who is in me. I, as a Christian, I am to be able to live in this society, in this generation that I have lived with the culture, with the tension, with the opposition, with the corruption, with the perversion. I am to live in a godly manner because of who is in me. I cannot use the culture. I cannot use people. I cannot use my children, my wife, or anybody else, or any experience of life to keep me from living godly. For God has given me a divine nature to escape the corruption of this world, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It is His power, not my own. And if we say we walk in the light and we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't have the truth, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 tells us. And so Paul's apostleship was according to the acknowledgement of the truth, which is according to godliness. It's not a boastful thing. It's something that God has done and is doing in us by virtue of his own doing, for we are his children. And notice third and last that Paul's apostleship was according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 2. Now some believe that the hope of eternal life modifies the faith and knowledge Paul has just mentioned while others see it as a continuation to qualify Paul's apostleship. Certainly, this hope of eternal life is sourced in the faith of the elect and the full knowledge of the truth of the gospel. Certainly, Paul's apostleship was resting on the hope of eternal life. But the problem is that the concept of eternal life is often misunderstood, thinking that it simply means life without end. The word eternal means age-abiding life. And the word deals first with the quality of life, and we should always interpret it that way when we look at eternal life in the Scriptures. We usually think of it just as the amount of time. It's about the quality of life that it's talking about. The reference is to God's life, which is outside of man's time domain. God is not only transcendent, but He's eminent. Transcendent means he's beyond our finding out completely. But he's eminent. He's in contact with his creation. He's not like the Greek gods. He told Moses, I have heard, I have seen, I'm coming down. <laughs> he's in contact with his creation. He's in control of it. The phrase refers to the kind of life produced through the divine nature, as we said earlier in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-4. The phrase speaks not only of the present reality, but of the still future fulfillment when you and I will be glorified in Romans 8, 29, and 30. Eternal life. When do you get eternal life? Here. God, quality, life. The word secondly speaks of the quantity of life. Life that will never end. Peter calls it the living hope in 1 Peter 1, 3. Life that begins here on earth when the person accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and continues on into eternity. So eternal life is given here and I manifest that God-like life and when I die physically, I move on 
to eternity with God. But eternal life begins here. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to get eternal life. You experience eternal life here. And it moves on into eternity with God. Notice thirdly that Paul's apostleship that rests on the hope of eternal life was based on the promise of God. This is very important. Because whatever we promise, we promise that God promised, not that we promise. God cannot lie due to his nature. He is the epitome of holiness. Omniscience, omnipresence, just to mention a few of his attributes. He's the epitome of perfection. He cannot lie. This truth is recorded in the Old Testament, both in Numbers 23, 19 and 1 Samuel 15, 29. God cannot lie. Now you lie, I lie, but God can't lie. If there's ever a choice between you and God, please, you're the wrong one, okay? Always understand that. God stands in contrast to the Christians anyway. As you go down to chapter 1, verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil bellies, and lazy gluttons. Now, it sounds like our society at times, does it not? You see, when you don't have objective truth, then you can speak lies and think you're telling the truth. Because you're an authority to yourself. There's no way to measure it. The Christian should stand in contrast to the unbeliever. The church should stand also in contrast to the world and religion. We should make a difference. We should know right from wrong. But notice fourthly that Paul's apostleship is a manifestation of promises that were made by God before time began. Before time began. The phrase is taken by some to mean the promises of the Old Testament as well as the New beginning with Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. And you know the prophecy there that it would be a temporary wound to hit, uh, bruise the heel of Christ uh, on the cross, but uh, it was temporary. He rose from the dead. But the bruise on the head of the serpent would be a fatal blow. And Jesus Christ destroyed Satan at the cross. He tasted death for every man. He rose from the dead. Isaiah 7.14 speaks about a virgin uh, bearing a son, calling his name Emmanuel. Luke 24, 27 speaks about the fulfillment. Hebrews 1, 1 speaks about the epitome of God's manifestation in the Son. His promises throughout from the beginning to the very time of the New Testament. The phrase literally means times eternal or ages of chron chronological time as we know them. In other words, we are seeing the fulfillment of God's promises from the past to the present. For God, it's, it's not difficult that he did this before the time. You know, the, the parade goes by here every year. And if you sit on this corner right here, the parade won't get you to about 45 minutes or maybe an hour. God lives outside of that time domain. He's up in the new Goodyear blimp. And he looks down and he sees the beginning of the parade. And he sees the tail end of the parade. And then it starts up. And he sees the end. The beginning, the middle, he sees what everybody's doing, he hears everything all at one time. And he says that to you from the blimp. And you're sitting here in the corner and said, Nah, how can that be? Just a little window. <laughs> For him, it's no problem. But because I can't understand it, then I, well, it can't be true because I interpret it subjectively. 
where I interpret it objectively to God's truth and I know who God is, I say, no problem. <laughs> I can handle that because I know who God is. The believers called before time began, Ephesians 1.4, from the foundations of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to the, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Listen, before time began. The Lord Jesus spoke of his mission before the foundation of the world in John 17.5 and 24. On the Lord's prayer there is the Father, as he spoke, prayed to the Father before he left. The Lord Jesus said he was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. God did all this before the time. People say, well, did God know about Adam? No, duh. Yes, he knew about Adam. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because love is only meaningful if it's voluntary. And God gave man a choice to love him. And what's the evidence of love? I obey you. If you would Tell your son, I don't want you coming out of the yard. And then you handcuffed him to the porch. And you duct taped him to the floor. And then you came home from work and said, oh, you're such a good, obedient son. You didn't go anywhere. You're deceiving yourself. But if your son is home and you say, son, I don't want you out of the yard at all. I'm going to work. And I'll be back. And you put a camera in there. <laughs> and you come home and say, son, did you go out? He goes, nope. Really? Okay. Let it roll. <laughs> and he says, son, I am well pleased with you. You have been an obedient son. And in that film, his friends came on the picture and said, come on, John, let's go. Ah, don't worry, your dad will never find out. And he heard his son say, you know what? I have to obey my dad. When that father got home, he loved his son. That love would be meaningful. God wants you of free will. Then his love is meaningful. He gives you that choice. Never force you. Never will. An experiment was conducted with sewer rats to see how long they would survive before drowning. They lasted an average of 17 minutes. The next time they pulled them out just prior to the 17-minute mark. And later they put them back in only to discover that they endured more than 36 hours. Their conclusion was that the rats had experienced a salvation hope once they were pulled out. Therefore, they endured in hope of the same experience again. Amazing, huh? God has saved us. We endure. We persevere because we have experienced salvation hope. Hey, listen. Let's at least try as hard as the rats. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. Are you mistaken in your hope of eternal life on works rather than faith? Like maybe that young ruler? What must I do to be saved? Not about works. We're saved by faith through grace, that not of ourselves, a gift of God. We have great hope. I am more excited about Jesus Christ after 27 years than ever before.
I love my wife more after 27 years than I did when I married her. Love grows. Love waits. Love is patient. Love is faithful. Are you resting in the work of Jesus Christ, yielding and enjoying eternal life here and now? Listen to 1 John 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, and you also will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Abiding. Walking with him. Are you a picture of courage, perseverance, confidence, and stability through the test of life due to your hope of eternal life which God has promised? Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of power may be of God, not of ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Verse 16 through 18 of the same chapter. Even though our outward man perishes, yet... The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. What's your perception of life on earth here? What's your perception of the kingdom? Where is your hope? Are you looking for the blessed hope? the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church, as he says in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, the longer I'm here, the more I say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And then I think of how many people do not know the Lord. I say, Lord, it's okay. I can hang in there. I can wait. If I die, I'm with you. If you come, I'm with you. So it doesn't matter. But he's given me that desire to long for him. But when I plead for it, then I realize there's so many who don't know Christ. And I say, Lord, you know what? It's all right. Let's get some of the men. It's okay. Paul's apostleship was according to the hope of eternal life. What a qualification of his apostleship. Three simple things that apply to a soul. So adequate for today. According to the faith of God's elect, our faith is just as those in the past, present, and will be in the future. It's of the same quality. We're not superior. We're not inferior. According to the acknowledging of the truth, which is according to godliness, we understand the truth. We understand what God requires. We understand what he can do. I understand that I cannot be the same. I must be changed. And according to the hope of eternal life, I look to Him. I walk with Him. I'm being transformed like unto Him. That's my hope. And one day, I'll be just like Him. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that even though it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, when we see Him, we shall be exactly as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. Man, you just can't be the same. You must press to the mark. 
you must hope in God. Not in yourself, your situation, or anything else, but in Him and the Word alone. Pastor Xavier Reese and staying true to the Course and the King. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's message, it's available for just $4. The title to ask for is Paul the Apostle. We can send you a copy on CD, and this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Paul the Apostle, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What's better than any education? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 